Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Okay, let's turn to the book of Colossians. This is going to be a busy sermon today. We're going to get through a fair bit of scripture. Chapter 1, verse 21. We all there? Just say a big yes. Yes, yes. I'm there. Say no if you're not. Okay, 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. That's pretty deep stuff, isn't it? Lord, I just pray uh, that you will give me the words and the wisdom to unveil these scriptures today. Help us to understand them by the Holy Spirit. I pray your Holy Spirit will be present with each and every one of us here as we hear the word and present and anoint me to reveal the word by your mighty power. And I pray this all in your wonderful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Truth, judgment and eternity is the destiny of every man, woman, and child on earth. Who believes that? Truth. We will all know the truth one day. Whether we know it now, we will know it one day. When? At judgment. And at judgment, after that, we're all going to experience eternity. And judgment will determine where we spend eternity. So that's why this series is so important. None will escape the judgments of God. No one. No one living will escape the judgments. We can deny it all we want throughout life, but regardless of race and religion, and all will stand before God and will have to give an account. This series is to prepare us for that moment in eternity when the Lord will sort the sheep from the goats. Sheep are followers. Goats are sort of free-willed. <laughs> Not very good at following. They're wild. They go in any which way but loose, you know. The sheep will go on to eternal life and the goats on to eternal destruction. So knowing this and that God has given us a textbook and you say, here it is, this will get you through life. And not only that, it'll get you into eternal life with me in the kingdom. How much priority should this have in our life? 
How well should we know it? We should know this thing inside out, backwards, forwards, you name it. Not backwards by reading it backwards, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> that's a satanic thing they do in the satanic church. But we must know it inside out. It must be in us. Because, you know, the more you read the Word of God, it embeds itself into your heart and into your mind. And usually one of the signs that a person is going astray is when they stop reflecting on the Word of God. And then they start to lose passion and desire for the things of God. And then the next thing you know, there's this slow decline. They stop praying. Before you know it, they stop attending church regularly. And before you know it, they're just living on this rocky life. And they wonder, how did I ever get into this mess? I'm not saying you won't get in the messes when you're in Christ either. But this helps you get through the mess. You don't get stuck in the mess, stuck in the quagmire. It helps you. It's like a rope that's thrown from the shore and pulls you out of the quicksand. And that's how we should treat the Bible. Over the last few months, I've been doing a series called the Book of Colossians. And it's a verse-by-verse -verse study, as you all know. You may have discovered that the Colossian church confronted, in many respects, much of what the modern church of the 21st century confronts. If you notice that as we read through it, sounds like today. But you could probably just say today is a lot worse. But then you've got this church that has all these conflicting beliefs all in one place. Mysticism, hedonism, you know, uh, paganism. Uh, yeah, but Jewish beliefs and uh, Gnostic beliefs all in one place. And they're getting thrown this way and that because there's nothing there to found them on. There's no truth because the truth has been distorted. False doctrines, deceptive beliefs, all in an effort to distort the truth and lead believers away from a pure devotion to Christ. You know, everything we have around us in this world is in an effort to distract us and confuse us and make us not believe the truth. Just about everything you watch on TV, you tell me this, how often do you sit down and watch secular TV and while you're watching it, all you do is think about God? Does that ever happen? Do you sit down and watch secular TV and just think about God the whole way through it? Or does it distract your thoughts and keep you completely off what God would have otherwise been speaking to you about before you turned it on? That's all it does. It's a perfect propaganda machine to keep people from finding Jesus. Because the ultimate end, the ultimate cause and the ultimate reason why Satan does what he does and has got all of this stuff around us is to distract us from the truth. To keep us asleep and blind and ignorant. And that's why when you talk to these people who live a life of that secular thinking, when you talk to them about Jesus, it's just so foreign and so far from them, they can't possibly understand you. It's just confusing. confusing. They're going, what are you talking about? What's this blood sacrifice of Jesus for my sins? I don't even sin. So as we have seen from our Uncovering Religion series, there are a vast amount of obscure teachings and beliefs in the world, and their main aim is to deny the deity of Christ and invalidate the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us and lead the believer into a work salvation. So they deny Jesus as God. They then invalidate the sacrifice, so it's no longer valid in your life, and puts us into a work system where we have to work to achieve salvation. Two weeks ago, I presented a sermon on Colossians 1.15-20, which 
where the preeminence of Christ was revealed as Paul focused on just who Christ is. He remembers that sermon. Paul said that he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn, and that firstborn is first in time. He's preeminent, first in rank or status. He's the first, the ultimate existence before anything that was Jesus is. And he always has been. And he's over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. How amazing is that? What an amazing God we have. Jesus, all things were created by him and for him. Now, if the Christadelphians' view of Jesus being that he's not God, he's just blessed by God. Hang on. All things were created by him. Could a person, just a normal person, create all things? That scripture there just straight away tells us he's God. Only God creates all things. And it says in this scripture that Jesus created all things. Today we'll be continuing in our verse-by-verse study and uncover more of what Paul had to say in this heavenly-inspired letter to the Colossians. So here we go. Colossians 1.21 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Unbelievers, it says here, once you are alienated, so unbelievers are aliens, aren't they? Aliens. Illegal aliens. We've all heard that term a lot over the last few years. Illegal aliens, you know, don't let them in the country. And they have absolutely no right to enter into the kingdom of God. An unbeliever will not enter into the kingdom of God, just as an illegal alien can only enter a country if that country shows mercy towards him or her. Is that right? For an illegal alien to come into Australia, Australia has to show mercy. And I think Australia probably shows more mercy than just about any other country in the world towards illegal aliens. Uh, But this is even more so with God. There's conditions of entry, just like any country. You know what's funny is most people in the world will say, if God is real, I don't believe in him, but if he is real, I believe that he'll let me in the kingdom of God. The reason why is I'm a good person and I've contributed to society and I deserve. So they make their own decision and, you know, entrance rights. I have entrance rights. I don't believe in that stuff, but if it's true, I should get in there. To me, that's just absolute foolishness, isn't it? How would you, would you risk your eternal life on that assumption? What's the most guaranteed thing in life? Tax. Death. Death and taxes, there it is. But death is probably more guaranteed than taxes. Some people get by without having to pay tax. They stay on the dole their whole life. (laughs) <laughs> Johnny said that. <laughs> Bill did not find that one amusing, John. You pay your taxes, don't you, Bill? It's an honest one. You give the tax man a ring, don't you? You get another one of those things. All right. Death is guaranteed. And everyone is going to face death. Yet, most people don't believe in an afterlife. So that doesn't make sense to me. How can you not believe in an afterlife, yet everyone has to face death? So what they're all assuming is that, obviously, because the body lays there not moving any longer, 
That's it. Because as far as I can see, that's it. These same people will say, I had an out-of-body experience yeah. Yeah. in my sleep. I had an out-of-body experience. I was floating around. You know, what about their dreams? Dreams prove the afterlife. You know how when you dream, you're in another place, aren't you? Doing another thing. You're here, there, and everywhere in your dreams. Experiencing things. Your spirit is actually experiencing them because you actually remember them sometimes when you wake up. So you're actually you're doing something that's not required of your body. You were dreaming. Okay, it might be just in your mind or it might be an out-of-body experience. Who knows? But the thing is your mind is perceiving things that your body has nothing to do with. Now, when you move on to the afterlife, your spirit is going to continue to understand and perceive what is happening around it. It doesn't stop at the body. The body is just a a physical object that is just you're encased in. It's like a shell that you discard. So everyone, everyone sort of in their hearts, heart of hearts knows this, but then they want to deny that all of that stuff is just, don't even want to consider it, don't even want to think about it. But why are unbelievers alienated? Everyone looking at the scripture? Mm-hmm. Because they are enemies in their minds. Their evil behavior alienated them from God. They're enemies in their minds. They're not enemies in their actions, they're enemies in their minds. The way they think, they in a sense, hate God, and they not just hate him, they're they're an enemy. They're actually hostile towards him. That's why sometimes you can have, you know, furious debates with some people. But you think about it. Would God allow his enemy into the house? Would you allow your enemy to come into your home? Would a country allow their enemy to come into the country? No. They're hostile. They evil, have evil intent for the place. Well, I hope the, the leaders of our country would think like this. If they knew that the person they were letting them in was going to bomb a place or blow up something in Australia, that, that our country would actually say, no, don't come in. You would assume that would be the case. My conspiracy research tells me otherwise. But um, <laughs> you would assume that they would only let people into the country that has good intents for the country. That is why there's such an outcry against Muslims coming into Australia. Because Muslims, a lot of the time, hate democracy and they're hostile towards democracy and want the worst for our country. They don't want the best for our country. I'm talking about radical Islam. Rob, yeah. can I just throw a span in the works there? And I'm okay. sorry to say this, but yes. uh, uh, you said that would a, a country let the enemy in. Uh, Barack Obama... Is a Muslim. Mm. Mm. He runs. He runs America. Runs America. <laughs> that, <one work> out. <laughs> that one work out. They're abolishing prayer in schools, yet he's allowing Islamic prayers at Capitol Hill. You can watch videos of him talking uh, using Islamic statements and, and quoting the and the Quran. It's it's terrible. And blaspheming the Bible. Yes, and attacking the Bible as well. If we go back to this, the the evil behavior alienated them from God. People do not get into heaven because of evil behavior. They haven't been cleansed. So, and what I mean by that, only with Christ's atonement. Without it, we have absolutely no chance of getting into heaven. Is that true? You cannot get into heaven unless you've been cleansed and purified and consecrated and atoned by Jesus. Genesis 6.5 says... The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become 
and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. Get that. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. Because the human condition was so hopeless and men had proved since time began that all they desired to do was evil all the time. The Bible tells us that God was grieved. God, this is God the Father. God the Father was grieved. And his heart, the heart of God was filled with pain. Because it says it here. His heart was grieved and filled with pain. Do you think that part of that pain was knowing that Jesus was going to have to die for all their sin? Do you think that part of that grief was knowing what was going to take place in Jesus because the heart of man was to do evil and wicked? Men's heart were wicked. Think about this. Here is this defective creation because they're filled with the knowledge of good and evil. A creation that is filled with the knowledge of good and evil. We all know good, don't we? We all know what is good. Who can discern good? Usually we can, can't we? Who can discern evil? Do you know in, in the garden, Adam and Eve couldn't discern good or evil? They just lived right. They just lived righteously. They lived right. But since then, everyone has known good and evil. And what do we do? We swing towards evil. The Bible tells us here that the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Not just part of the time. All the time. And I think God's measure of what is evil is greater than our measure of what evil is. We think evil is just like going and killing something. <laughs> but God just thinks evil is when you swear. And there's oodles of accounts talking about people, gossip and slandering. You know, they say hell will be filled of gossips and slanderers. So without the blood of Jesus, we are not good. We are not righteous. Only God is righteous. The most holy man on earth, even the most holy Christian on earth, still does not do right all the time. That's why the world will hold a minister up and say, hey, look, he's, he's not doing right. You know, They'll judge him at a higher standard than themselves. The difference is they don't understand. Hey, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. This one doesn't. The man of God will aim to walk in holiness, but he'll know that it's, that's impossible. So he relies and depends on Jesus. And then also he has the grace of repentance to ask God to forgive him when he slips up. But isn't that true? Humanity hold men of God up at a level way beyond them, their, own, their own ability to live up to. So they'll judge them at a higher, higher level. Is that right? Have you noticed that in the past? So all they desire is to sin. All that they desire to do is to sin and to live apart from God. So Paul tells us in 1 Colossians 1.22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Isn't that good? So Christ was sent to earth to reconcile us by his physical body. The filthy lives of sin, which so grieved God, he took upon himself in one giant act of mercy. 
He took what we deserve upon himself. He took our sin upon himself so that we can be presented to God holy and blameless. Holy and blameless in his sight, without blemish or stain, totally free of accusation. Who wants to go to heaven? Put up your hand if you want to go to heaven. Learn this stuff. Know it. Hold it deep in your heart. Because one day, when you are entering into death, what I'm saying now will be the most important thing you have ever, ever heard. This information is the most critical information. Every single man and woman on earth needs to know this. This is not boring. This is critical stuff. It will ensure that you survive death and enter into the kingdom of heaven to be with Jesus forever. Wouldn't you want these sort of this knowledge running through your head on that moment? I'm saved by grace. I'm justified by faith in Jesus. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. Lord, thank you. Isn't that a better way to enter heaven? Knowing that Jesus is there with us. His death on the cross was for our sanctification. Something that no amount of good works can accomplish within us. Nothing we can do. Do you know how many people are just doing good acts all the time and think they deserve heaven? I'm doing a good thing. I've joined this organization and we go out and we help the elderly and we go out and we help the, these kids in orphanages. They do all these acts of mercy and they, but there's no God in their life. There's no Jesus in their life. And then they assume that these acts of generosity, acts of goodness is what it's all about. But you know what? You're supposed to do that. Jesus says, you know, give your money to the poor. Look after the homeless. But you, if you do it without Jesus, you're fooling yourself. You're just, you're just giving yourself a bigger ego, probably making yourself harder to be reached by God. Rob, I think one of the major problems in the world is that people don't really understand what the opposite of heaven really is all about. Yes. And I, I think if, if they were educated on what it was really all about, mm, mm. they would wake up because uh, it says... I said it before here, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning, beginning of, of wisdom. wisdom, and that's a good start for them. Yeah, and you cannot fear the fear the Lord unless you know the consequences of going against God or fighting Him. You know, he, He's He has all power and all authority, and um, He can do with His creation what He chooses. But you know what? All creation are under the wrath of God. All creation, but. Then there's those that are covered by the blood who are protected. Uh, a typology of that was when the angel of death went over Egypt and went to um, slay the Egyptian uh, children. Those that had the blood of the lambs uh, on the lentils were the angel of death passed over. And that's why they call it the Passover. And that's a typology of what the blood of Jesus does in our lives. God's wrath, we are saved and protected from the wrath of God in these days. Now, you know what? That's a, a just quickly, uh, just digress just momentarily on that. That I believe if, if the church is not raptured before um, the tribulation begins, I believe that there's going to be another Passover during the judgments of God being poured out on all mankind. I believe there'll be another Passover upon the houses that are covered by the blood of Jesus. That's if we have to go through the tribulation. 
Interesting point, but I won't go any further with that. <laughs> Even Peter said, listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins. Why did he bore, uh, bear our sins on the cross? So that we might die to sin. What does die to sin mean? We give it up and live for righteousness. So a Christian should be living for righteousness and doing what is right. And then it says this, by his wounds we have been healed. Whoops, clicked on the wrong thing. He bore our sins upon a cross and we might die to sin and live for righteousness. In other words, so that we can become holy. Then Peter adds that by the wounds of Christ we are healed. Healed of every form of sin. Healed of all physical sickness. Healed of all mental sickness. And free of all demonic influence. Demonic influence is very real. I've seen it. I've experienced it. We must walk in this healing by faith. If you need healing, I just want you to repeat the following words. And I'm just writing it here. And this should be something that is going on in your mind at all time. Very simple. I am healed in Jesus' name. Say that 10,000 times a day if you need healing. I'm healed in Jesus' name. I'm healed in Jesus' name. Claim the healing. Colossians 1.23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Just remember Colossians 1.22, it says, but, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And then in Colossians 1.23, it says, if you continue in your faith. So when Paul adds if, he is in effect saying this, you are reconciled to God by Christ if you continue in your faith. That sort of flies in the face of all those uh, ministers that, that preach once saved, always saved. They preach that 20 years ago you may have gone to an older and said, I, I accept Jesus into my life, and then live like the devil for the rest of your life. But still, because you made that one confession, you're saved at the end of your life. Does the Bible say that? You will continue, you will go to heaven if you continue in the faith. You will be reconciled to God if you continue in the faith. That's why Paul said, I beat my body and make it a slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He beat his body and made it a slave and he forced himself to live righteously and holy and live for Jesus and to tell everyone every day about Jesus. You know, when I think of Paul's life, I feel ashamed of my own life. Here's a man who lived on the edge. He just was out there continuously telling people about Jesus, suffering intense persecution, imprisonment. You know, a Christian today, if we went through a situation where we went out and really tried to reach people and we were thrown in prison, that would be the end of ministry for us. Oh, God obviously doesn't want me to do this anymore. Back down from that. Or you tell another person about Jesus and they, you get into an argument with them. Oh, no, no, I'm obviously not an evangelist. I won't go with that anymore. Paul was getting stoned and dragged to the city gate. They had to go and lay hands on him and he, he revived, which means he was dead. He was killed. 
And then he rose up and what did he do? He went back into the city where they just stoned him. <laughs> it's amazing. He spent a night and day in the open sea, bobbing up and down. All for the cause of Christ. You imagine spending a night and day in the open sea with sharks. Hungry sharks. And I reckon there was more sharks on earth then. Let's take an example of this out of life. You will continue to drive your car provided you put petrol in it. Is that right? If you don't put petrol in it, what, what happens? It stops working. No matter what the car is, no matter how good it looks or how powerful it is, if you don't continue to fill it with petrol, it won't run. Isn't that true? If we don't continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we simply won't run. And you know what? We'll be useless to God on that day. Let's have a read of this. Matthew 25. (laughs) Matthew 25, verses 1 to 12. If everyone's there, Matthew 25 says, it's the parable of the ten virgins. At that time... The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So the kingdom of heaven will be like the kingdom, sorry, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. They went out, they took their lamps, and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. Oil is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. What are they talking about there? The coming of Jesus. It's a parable. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. What is that an analogy of? Not Nick. Nick. (laughs) The world. The world or or, um, even the church, the current church. Drowsy, falling asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Cry out is the angel of heaven crying out or even the gospel being preached. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. Second coming, the rapture. The virgins who were ready went in, went up, we could say, with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. I don't know you. I love how you shut that Bible so quickly. Therefore, keep watch. Keep watch. Because you do not know the day all the hour. Keep watch. Be alert. Stay filled with oil, filled with the Holy Spirit. You do not know the day or the hour of his return. He's coming. So we are the bride. That's what we are because he, Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom. So he's our, if you want to call it that, he's our husbandman. We are the bride. Be devoted in prayer, Bible study. And as Paul said to the Ephesians, he said this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the call. Now, I'll I'll tell you this. It's so easy for me to say this. And right now, you guys can go, yes, he's right. Yep, I'm going to live a life worthy. And by this afternoon, guess what? 
you have, turn the TV on, secular media starts to play in your brain, and guess who forgets everything? Guess who just returns to their normal state of thinking? You know, I tend to, and I'm sure my family will vouch, I don't turn the TV on very much, and I spend most of my time reading the scriptures and reading Christian books and, and looking into the Word of God. Therefore, my mind is consumed with the Spirit all the time. And it's the only way. Now, you might say, oh, Rob, that's what he wants to do, is that what he wants to be. No, we can all be like that. Actually, you won't be more than two minutes in heaven and you'll wish that's how you spent your life. You'll wish you were devoted. You'll wish you read the Bible all the time and knew it like the back of your hand. Colossians 1.23, I'm going to just speed through it. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So Paul tells us to establish ourselves in the word. Don't let your hope held out in the gospel be shaken. I, told, I said earlier, you'll only lose your faith if you, if you stop you know, devoting yourself to the word of God. Don't let doubt enter your mind. If you, if you don't know the scriptures, doubt will enter in. How many of you have faced situations, and because you don't know the, the scriptures very well, it's hard to say what would Jesus do in this situation because I don't know the word of God, so I can't declare what he would do. I can't make that decision in God because I don't know the word. How important is the word? The gospel which we believe in is the same gospel proclaimed by the original disciples of Christ and is founded on the most sound rock who ever lived in history, and that rock is Christ. And it says in Romans 9.33, as it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone <clears throat> that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Even if you're in the world and they shame you because of your belief in Jesus, they make you feel ashamed and they curse you and mock you and make fun of you. At the, in the last days, you will not be ashamed. It's talking about at judgment. You will not be ashamed if you held fast to the word of God. Colossians 1.24 Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. The gospel which Paul uh, preached was preached against the most fierce opposition. Is that right? It was fierce. But in, in this opposition, it shone at its most brightest. For some reason, the gospel shines best in countries where, it's, where Christians are persecuted. That's where the gospel holds the body of Christ together stronger than any other place. It's like it needs opposition to shine. It's like the opposition is like a rubbing of a shiny pot and it glows when it's getting rubbed and persecuted and bashed and beaten. Blows and wounds purge the innermost being, the Bible says. And get this, the gospel exposes the thoughts and intents of the heart. When the gospel is preached, Satan reveals himself. Have we seen that? When the gospel is preached, Satan reveals himself. Paul witnessed this firsthand, as did the Lord Jesus, who faced the most intense resistance of all. Is that true? Yeah. 
So in these sufferings, which Paul experienced, as did all the New Testament Christians, Paul rejoiced and he filled up in his flesh what was still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. What is still lacking is us finishing our race. You know, many people will say, but didn't Christ finish everything when he suffered for us? And don't we, you know, we don't have to suffer now because he did it all for us on the cross. That's sort of reading uh, scripture out of context. But yes, Christ did it all on the cross, but the Bible reveals that now we have to face our own Gethsemanes and take up our own crosses. I've got a book out called Taken Up Your Cross, and it's, it's probably the biggest book I've written, and it just really reveals the truth of that statement about how important it is to realize that we have to take up our cross and live a life similar to Christ, who was our leader who went before us. Hopefully we don't have to experience the intensity of the persecution with which he experienced it, but we do have to have the mindset and the attitude to be prepared to go that far and not recant of Jesus. We have two choices. Either we take the easy way. Who, who likes the easy way? I thought so. Who would rather be in bed right now? <laughs> See? That's the easy way, isn't it? It's church, Sunday morning. <sighs> Go back to sleep. I'm glad this church isn't like that. But we have two choices. Either we take the easy way, and as we do, we take on the worldly burden of sin. And we walk the wide road. And where does the wide road lead, Bill? To destruction. To destruction. Or we take upon ourselves the burden of Christ. You know, a lot of people like the burden of sin, don't they? It's free for all. Do what you want. You know, no rules. I can burn down a schoolyard if I, a school if I want to. I can do what I want. They do it. You can do what you want. You can have sex with multiple partners. You know, and, and you usually get the diseases that come with that. They say one of the most frequented stops by most rock musicians today is the chemist. When every time they go in a new city to get the latest venereal disease uh, cure, if there is one. So we either live that life of sin and we take on the burden of sin, which gives us the burden of sickness and disease and, and depression and whatever else comes with that. Or we take upon ourselves the burden of Christ. We shoulder our cross and follow him up the narrow road. And where does the narrow road lead, Bill? To life everlasting. I'm glad you knew those scriptures, Bill. See, no. knowing the scriptures helps, doesn't it? A bit of collusion so the results to the first way, <laughs> bit of collusion, you reckon? I could, when I ask you these questions, Bill, you answer me. <laughs> and I just have a little Robert, secret. <laughs> the results of the first way, taking on the burden of sin, is standing before God at judgment and we stand alone, covered in sin and condemned. Wouldn't that be horrible? Alone, sinful, condemned, knowing I've hated this guy, I've been an enemy in my thoughts to this guy. And there he is. His majesty is revealed. The truth is revealed. Or would you rather the second way, we stand at judgment with Christ who pleads our case. And guess what? <clears throat> Jesus is not going to be saying to God, you know how good this guy is? He deserves it. 
He's going to be saying, this guy loved me. He, wasn't, he was not an enemy in his mind. He loved me. Even when everyone laughed and mocked him, he still loved me. That's what Jesus will be saying. And that is what it gets us in the heaven. It gets us through judgment. So it would be good to have Jesus pleading our case, knowing our sins have been forgiven. When are our sins forgiven? A few weeks ago? When we repent. When we repent. But according to Scripture, they're forgiven now. We don't have to wait to find out if they're forgiven, like the Muslims. We know now, in Christ, if we repent, as Jenny said, we are forgiven now. So we just have to choose. I'll just finish this one quick thing. Colossians 1.25 says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. So Paul walked as a servant of the church before God. Therefore, when we read the letters of Paul, we know that we are receiving the word of God in its fullness. Is that right? When you read the epistles, you know, when you've read through the book of Romans, you really understand justification by faith, don't you? That we're not under the law, we're under grace. Nothing is withheld from us in Paul's letters. Everything we need for salvation is enclosed within its pages. And that's why he wrote that in Colossians 1.25. says, The mystery of that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this mystery was kept hidden in the scriptures. And, and what we're talking about is the coming of Christ and all he achieved in his life, death and resurrection was a mystery. The Old Testament was locked up and was mysterious until Jesus revealed himself. You know why? Have you ever heard the term typology? A typology, I said it before. We, these are relationships between Old and New Testaments. There's relationships. Jesus talked about himself, the son of man, being like Jonah in the big fish. Just as Jonah was three days in the belly of a fish, so the Son of Man. He, that was a typology that Jesus used in Matthew 12, 39 to 41. Abraham attempted to sacrifice, his attempted sacrifice of his son Isaac is a type of Christ. It's a typology. The story of Joseph also can be used as a typology of Jesus. But without the reality of Christ's life on earth, all these typologies are hidden and locked away in Scripture. And cannot be interpreted. And that's where I get to Ephesians 3, 1 to 6, which is what you... I was going to say. Yeah, you were, really? yep, you were just mentioning that before. And I'll just quickly go through that. Just don't bother turning. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. And that mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And that is the mystery. All these typologies in the Old Testament make more sense when we read them through New Testament. Now we see in the Old Testament, we see Jesus all the way through it, don't we? As long as we understand how to read the scriptures, the mystery that is revealed that Paul made known. Joe Schimmel does a brilliant typological message on the story of the cripple Mephibosheth. Uh, he called it I Am Mephibosheth in the podcast dated on the 22nd of November. So if you want to check that out, it's a really good one. And this is the last thing. 
Colossians 1.28 says, We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And this is important. His intention was to present us perfect, not perfect in deeds and abilities and talents, but not in our own righteousness. But the Word of God says perfect in Christ. Are you perfect in Christ, Nick? grace exactly perfect answer by the grace of Christ Nick is perfect in Christ you may need to do more things for Christ you know live for him and do things like we all do we all we don't pray enough we don't read the scriptures enough we don't live for him enough because there's always more you could do but we are perfect in Christ and that is the that's the gospel that's the wonder and beauty of the gospel no other faith on earth not one, and we've been studying them, has this, has this promise that it's nothing to do with what you do. Even the Catholic Church has a, a works salvation around it. The Seventh-day Adventists have a works salvation. Yes, yes, there's Jesus' blood, but, there's always a but, you've still got to obey the Sabbath. If you don't obey the Sabbath, you've got to help. So really, this is the easy way. This, you can't get a more easy way. You know what? why it is rejected by most? is because mankind don't like to think that it depends on Jesus. They want to know that they're righteous. They're good enough to inherit eternal life by their own goodness and righteousness. And that's why they reject it. Because they think it's something that they warrant and, 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 and deserve. Pride. Pride. Colossians 1.29, and this is the last thing. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. This end, Paul is talking about, is the eternal salvation of all who would believe the message of the gospel. Why wouldn't this end cause Paul to labour with all his energy? You think about it. If you know that all mankind can be saved if you just preach the gospel, well, shouldn't that consume us? Shouldn't that be our main function in life especially look if if you've lived a life and you've you've worked your whole life and you've done all that you've got yourself set up and now you've got time do it you know and if you're younger you've just got to prioritize time make time for it study the word of god but always try to find opportunities ask god if you want me to lead someone to salvation put someone across my path and holy spirit you've got to do it because i can't do it and have that as one of your morning prayers. So we must administer this mystery. The gospel is a mystery to unbelievers, as I've said before. But to those of us with the Spirit of God, it is the most profound and wonderful element of our faith. So in response to this, let's take the communion, because I think I talked about the cross predominantly today, didn't I? Yeah. Um, it's really a, without it intending to be, it's really a, like a communion message. So let's just watch this video.